0: Hi there, this is Wafala Baidat. You are listening to the Women Power Podcast, a subsidiary platform to the Women Power Summit, the largest event in MENA, with the aim of empowering women and helping them achieve their absolute highest potential. Each week on the Women Power Podcast, you will hear honest, vulnerable, authentic, real conversations from inspiring women. These women will share their experiences and stories into what it takes to build a successful business and career. The podcast will share insight and inspiration, and hopefully inspire action and lead change. Kokila Ella is a technology lawyer and the founder of Carm, with over seventeen years of experience in the Middle East. Her certification for Oxford Blockchain Strategy Program from Oxford University and FinTech Program from Harvard Business School has helped her develop an expertise in the area of newer technologies. She established Carm Legal, which is a boutique legal firm that provides legal advice on fintech, cryptocurrency, data protection, AI, robo-advisory, and open banking. Under the mentorship of Coquila, the firm has advised multiple crypto exchanges, token offerings, consortium enterprise blockchains, crowding platforms, and payment gateways for legally setting up and operating in the region. She's also a founding member in the MENA Fintech Association and a member of the Fintech Working Group Arab Monetary Fund. Welcome, Kokila. So I there's so much to cover. I love what you do. You're so fascinating and interesting. But let's start with COVID and how have you been navigating the space for the last few years? It's been quite interesting.
1: In my personal space, I would say I dodged COVID for a good twenty-four months. We played hard, but it finally caught me this year in January, and it blew me apart.
0: Was I it got tough? The,
1: the, the fancy Omnicorn? But my symptoms were that of Delta, and believe it or not, I still have what is called long COVID.
0: Did you lose weight? <laughs> it's my favorite question.
1: Unfortunately, that did not happen. I missed the good part. I got all the bad part about Delta where people raved about, oh, they lost 10 kgs, 11 kgs. And no, that did not happen for me. And you have no idea how desperately I need it. I've just delivered a baby a couple of months back. I'm carrying all that post-pregnancy
0: weight. Congratulations. What number is this baby? Number 2. Oh, awesome. I I'm terrified of having a second. I I have one and I'm like still unsure to take the plunge because pregnancy is so hard for me.
1: Yeah, I, one of the things I will talk today about is that misconception about how pregnancy is hard for if you're working full time.
0: Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. That would be great. Can you tell me what was? Um, can you tell me what was the worst day for you in COVID and how, or during this time, and how you turned that around?
1: The worst day was when I signed up a lease for a new office. We were operating from our office in Dubai, and on seventh of March, twenty twenty, I signed the lease for a new office in Abu Dhabi, and eleventh of March, we went in a lockdown. So it's been two years I'm paying rent for an office which we could not use and how we turned it around is that now we are actually a hybrid law firm where we work from
0: home so that's become our culture. I love that and I downsized my apartment apartment my office as well uh, because you just never know like I I, like you was stuck in a in a really aggressive rent contract that i couldn't get out of and it was really hurting me because for many months nobody was there so it still makes me angry at the landlords they had no empathy (coughs) or sympathy they just wanted their money so it was very frustrating Um,
1: yeah i was paying for two offices dubai and abu dhabi and working from
0: (laughs) my god it sounds like a nightmare like an entrepreneurial nightmare um, before we get into like why you chose to study law, what was your childhood like? Can you give us like a glimpse of what it was like growing up before you became a lawyer?
1: Yes. So I originally come from India, from a very uh, a typical North India middle class family. We had four sisters, four women in the house with a very strong mother. So you can imagine my childhood was a lot of women giving their opinions and judgments and Hormones flying everywhere. I think now when I look back at it, I like that actually helped me navigate my way throughout in my career and in my personal space because I had so many women talking with me all the time, all the time and giving so many different perspectives. So yeah, my childhood was fun. Uh, I was what they say, the tomboy of the family because somebody so mostly I used to hear that oh you don't have a brother and I would go fight around and say we don't need one so
0: because yes. you've got one no kidding. you've got one bro I'm there <laughs> I love that um how you know you said that you were a bit of a tomboy what made you feel or what indicated that you had some masculine traits
1: so I could not take no for an answer I had a lot of, God's grace, a lot of physical strength to fight around. I was in all sorts of martial arts and physical fights. And um, I was what my mother says, the brat in the house. What worked in my favor was that I was super good in my studies. So even if I like never came back from school and did my homework or prepared for an exam, I was still a topper throughout. So I was everybody's favorite in my school with my principal, to my teachers, and I could go and give them my opinion, even in a lower grade and, you know, go and talk to them. I think this is what you should do as a school. So it was it was different from being, uh, not that we're doing gender-based, but uh, it was different. Like I had to never think about my gender before going and doing anything. That's the environment in which I was brought up. And I honestly thought the whole world's like that.
0: You sound like a natural born leader from a very young age. Did you, were you just mirroring your mother or marrying strong people around you? Or was this just like an intuitive thing that empowered you to speak up, share what you have to say, push for the things that you want?
1: Yeah, I think it's more intuitive. My mother says I was born with it. I remember I went for my first public debate in the Indian parliament when I was eight years old. And it was fascinating for the whole family to have me there, go prepare it on my own and just be there. I always believed in one thing. My parents always instilled, you have a voice. So don't ever don't ever hesitate from using it. You've got the brains, match it with your voice and just go and say it.
0: Wow. So, yeah. I love that. Like we have And you know,
1: interestingly, my first entrepreneurial skill was when I was nine year old. And I wanted to earn my pocket money more than what my parents were giving. So I opened a library. I was an avid reader. So I had lots of books. I convinced the neighborhood kids that how they should rent out the library from the the books from my library. It's quite interesting.
0: Did you make a lot of money? I think I got more books. (laughs) I love that. It was
1: a beautiful experience. Yeah.
0: So, when did you know you said that you love debating? You definitely have an entrepreneurial so, so you you said that you enjoyed debating and you definitely had an entrepreneurial bug. Tell me about law and when you were first exposed to the world of law and what made you go in that direction.
1: Reading a lot of novels, reading a lot of books about law school, uh, and Because I always believed in having a voice and saying what is right. So I said, okay, this is logic. This is good. Logic sometimes needs a little backing. So I started studying a lot about history, political science. These were my favorite subjects and I used to excel in it. So every time there was something that would be happening in the world economy or the politics in, in 1983 or we had a war with Pakistan, I would always go back and see why is this happening? What was there earlier? So it just made sense for me to look at the legal profession because that's what it means to me. You know, there are rules, but what derived a society to make those rules? If we have the laws, what's the jurisprudence? What's the basic on which these laws have been written? So that got me very interested in looking at law as a profession. And that's how.
0: So what I find so interesting about just the space of law is it can be really creative. And I don't think we see that because we just see a ton of content and books and like rules. But how you mix and match and use all these different rules, how you find like spaces. And it's fascinating that you apply creativity into, you know, the subject. So I feel like that's probably you know, your entrepreneurial spirits as well, like problem solving. That's what you're doing on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. My, from my personal experience, I say every lawyer is an entrepreneur. Every lawyer. Even if you're working for a law firm, you're working in a, as an in-house counsel because you've got those skills and you need to go and prove your point, substantiate it, uh, add on from the law or from the the reasoning behind it. So it makes it very interesting. Every time you've got a matter, I always say, let's play. Let's play. How do we play with law? How, how do we play with what the society wants? Let's play with what is right, what is wrong. So I'll when I talk about karma, I'll tell you more about it. But I actually have this written in my office wall, which says law done differently. That it's not just you follow the rules and that's it. There is so much of creativity around it. And if you can put yourself in different roles with every client that you're talking to, you can come out with such beautiful solutions. Like there is nothing that, okay, says stop.
0: So did you always, what was your first job after college or did you work while you were studying?
1: I did many internships in law firms in India when I was doing my graduation, my bachelor's in law. Then I went for my LLM to Australia, to Melbourne. There while working, I didn't get internships in law firm. I used to sell newspapers, uh, not physically dropping it in a cycle, but actually doing it through Salesforce, one of the, one of the, you know the uh, what are those outsourcing firms which were just selling newspapers. So good read a lot. It's good fun, and then when I came out of law school. Because I did my master's in something very interesting, which has now led me to where I am today, 17, 18 years back, that was not the case. I mastered in cryptography and digital economy law. Not many people were even aware what I'm talking about. So I actually started teaching this as a subject when I came back from Australia to India in a university. And I did that for a couple of months. And then I got an opportunity and I moved to Dubai.
0: And ever since
1: it was in 2004, and since then
0: I'm here. You went to some incredible schools Harvard, Oxford. Uh, tell us more about joining these incredible institutions. So, after I did my,
1: my master's in law in digital economy law, it was interesting to see how cryptography how digital signatures, e-contract, e-money works. Now, that was way back in 2003, 2004. When I got into the whole space of blockchain again, that's when I realized that this is exactly what I had studied in law school. And this was from now I'm talking about 2017. And what I had studied was 2003. So then it made a lot of sense to me to go and get my academia knowledge enhanced. So I joined the Oxford Blockchain course to see that from 2003 to 2017, what all has progressed and how I can increase my knowledge and my expertise in it. And then when I started working with a lot of crypto and blockchain projects, I realized most of them were in the financial industry. All were talking about financial products. Then it made sense for me to do the uh, Harvard uh, FinTech course. And now I'm looking for, okay, what else should I do? But that's who I am, like continuously learning. Learning never stops. And like we learn every day from our kids, from our clients, from people you talk to.
0: But I give a lot of importance to academia still. I mean, yeah, going back to your library days and your your makeshift <laughs> library, you know, I'm a continuous uh, you know learner myself. So I know what you mean. I just want to know what's going on and I consuming knowledge just keeps me on the ball. I'm able to add value to my clients, my team, know what trends are coming. So I dedicate every day, like a portion of my day to like a podcast, a book or Audible just to just keep my mind uh, active. But you choosing fintech is really interesting because... Um, you know, last year, I believe $3 billion was put into tech startups and MENA and it's mostly fintech companies. So like you're definitely like on point when it comes to figuring out, you know, what's happening in terms of the trendiest businesses to start. Um, but what what was it like, like just from a culture perspective, like like doing your course in Harvard and also in in Oxford? Did you feel like the culture of these institutions, you know, added value to you? Absolutely.
1: So the Oxford course opened my eyes to a lot of going back to so going back to law school or going back to formal education after after a gap of almost fifteen years, was quite interesting to get back to get back into the same discipline and learning a lot more that had happened, and we had more than like one hundred and fifteen students from all over the world, and maybe around just six lawyers in the class, so it was different perspectives that we could think, which we could discuss. The course from Harvard was, was I would say multiplied by 100 to whatever I was doing. Because now we were graded only on the discussions that you would have on any topic that was given to you for a week. And you cannot discuss a topic if you've not deep dived into it. So it was such a learning curve for me because again, different industry background people, different cultures, different nationalities, all of us together trying to what we say, like peel off the layers on every problem that was discussed with us so i learned a lot from both of these courses made some really good friends made some good network out there and now while we're working on those live projects it's always great to go back to the alumni and discuss it with them
0: it's no secret that over and over again we're constantly getting stuck in our careers which is probably why you're listening to this podcast You could be stuck, or demotivated, or uninspired and you don't know who to go to for questions, or for connections, or someone who's been there done that, which is why we're building an exciting platform called Playbook. Playbook uses the power of storytelling by game-changing women to help you hack your life, both personally and professionally. We're building a resourceful community where you can find the answers to all your questions from mentors and diverse women that are all trying to figure out the ins and outs of their careers. You can be a part of our story from the very beginning and create and build your legacy with us by becoming a founding member. For a one-time fee of $500, you get a bunch of perks, such as lifetime access to our platform, an official founding member certificate that you can share on LinkedIn, and a testimonial for your LinkedIn page, plus 20 scholarships in your name to girls and women from different parts of the world who unfortunately don't have access to the education they need. Check out our website, www.getplaybook.com to learn more about how you can be a founding member of our platform. When did you decide to become, or, or when did you feel like your first job as an official lawyer? Tell us more about that and, and what that was at the early stages of your career.
1: Yeah, so I started working uh, in 2004 after I finished my law from Australia and I was here in Dubai in six months later, and I joined a UAE national law firm, brilliant work. I was the first corporate commercial lawyer they hired, and I had a great mentor, the partner in the firm was very happy to teach me about because I was coming from a very different legal background of common law, of being in a different culture, different society and coming to a new country. So there was a lot more that I had to learn. So I remember the first 16 months of my job, I don't think I ever even took a weekend off. So I used to work throughout the week and throughout the weekend, I was new in Dubai, I would just sit and study and read and, you know, make my notes and understand what's happening. And that was the time UAE was going through a major real estate boom. So that's when what I had studied about real estate and banking law back in Australia is what I started using that in the transactions I was advising on. And that all accelerated WorkEx made me quite strong and independent to go ahead and start my first legal consultancy firm in 2007, So, which is quite unheard of that in three years of WorkEx, I said, not only I'm going to go and uh, change jobs like what normally people would do I actually started my first law firm it was called equilibrium legal consultants and we primarily used to work with only real estate and corporate commercial legal
0: advisory work and had more than 320 clients so wait let's take a step back so working without taking time off did you ever get burnt out or did you feel like or do, were you energized by that experience? Or
1: Now I say I get burned out. Maybe the age is catching up. But at that time, the, the excitement of learning something new and the whole country had such a vibe of so much happening here that I never felt that, okay, I need, I've need i got a... Like this, you know, when I now talk to a younger generation and I look at uh, that some of my team members also and they say, we have a burnout and I'm looking at them and I'm like, your age I I did not know there is a concept of burnout Um, I mean it may not be mentally healthy but I loved every bit of it
0: do you feel like working that much accelerated your career because you're basically putting in more hours so you were consuming more so you were getting to where you needed to go faster
1: now when I look back at it and I say would I do it differently no because it all accelerated not only just with uh, starting my own independent practice within three years of working, but it also taught me a lot. So every time now I could advise a client, and especially now when we work with startups, I'm, I, can, I can pretty much say that I can not only just give them legal advice, I tell them I feel I, I've been through that journey. So I understand. I understand what you're going through because I've been through that at a
0: very young age i love that and you have you have empathy you're like i started a company i get it guys so like you're probably much more relatable and likable to your clients than maybe other lawyers um when you decided to start your own company tell me about how that happened so did people think you were crazy like oh my god you're so young you're insane you're gonna start your company at that age or where did you even get the money to start it
1: Yes, yeah, this was an interesting story. So I used to, I, go, I went and bought myself a pair of glasses and I said, because I was just 27 then, I said, I need to look mature. You know, once they sit with me, I know I've got them and they will understand what I'm saying. But sometimes in a meeting, they would look, you know, I would enter the room and they say, oh, okay, is your partner joining in? Or, you know, is your senior joining in? And I'm like, no, that's all I you know you get. <laughs> this is me you have to deal with. So because of my whole entrepreneurial streak, so even if I studied law, it was very clear in my head. I, not that I have anything against working for someone, but I know myself. I like to create things. I like to be very innovative and creative with the, even the solutions that we give even in our law firm today. The entire emphasis is that be yourself and just think out of the box which I know in a, in a typical nine to five environment, I could not bloom out and just, just be myself. So I knew that sooner or later, I will get into something which is my own. And I will go and set that up. So it's a fine balance between the lawyer in me who loves law and the entrepreneur I'm born as
0: what do people not tell you about starting a company that you found out when you started it like oh my god no one prepared me for this did you have any yeah, of these nobody. Off-
1: <laughs> nobody prepared me for covid What happened? nobody prepared you for the anxieties that you would go through nobody prepared you for the butterflies you feel in your stomach when you get something really exciting and you're like oh my god is this happening to me nobody so all the books that i read and the advice that i took i had various mentors that was i was always done that in my life that i would always have people who i get inspired by look up to so i wouldn't hesitate and going to them and saying i need half hour or one hour of yours but i need to discuss it so that's what i like to do and i would say it's 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 just like motherhood whatever you read you watch the videos and you prep and your gyny and your your own mother tells you this is how it will be but it's only when it happens is when you're like oh wow
0: yeah like no one prepared me for this right and it's like but nothing can prepare you until you go through it right i completely feel you um, I want to talk about anxiety because I suffer from extreme anxiety. Like I wake up in the morning anxious. Like I'm like, oh, you know, and I, I agree with you. Like I always feel because I'm creating, I have like my uterus is always active, like the birthing <laughs> space. Like that's what they say. That whole area is like the, the area of like the birth of new ideas. So that's why we get the butterflies in our stomach. But how do you deal with anxiety? I'm sure you figured out some ways to center yourself and calm yourself down.
1: So I believe in meditations, I believe in prayers. So I have this thing like, so even f- for, for the longest time, uh, I, I have followed a very disciplined life ever since I started, especially my, this venture, where I would sleep really early Because I wake up around 4, 4.30 in the morning. And that's my time. I would sit down and say, okay, let's talk to all the fears. Let's talk to all the anxieties. Come, let's discuss one by one. Let's solve it. Let's let's start peeling it off. What is there? What is causing it? And that has helped me quite a bit. I'm a big believer in mental health needs to be taken care of. So in my current venture in Karm, we actually have our mental coach. She comes and does coaching for all of us. As a a firm, it's compulsory for us to do that every six months. And so it's not like a corporate level training, but it's more on mindfulness, understanding what we're going through. So everything on like, you know, the soul's purpose, understanding what our physical body is going through. And yes, this generation gets burnt out very easily. So <clears throat> understanding the fine balance between it. With all this also, there are still certain days where I'm like, what is happening and why? <laughs> I just want to go and hide under somewhere, <laughs> not come out. But it, it brings in a lot of balance in my life.
0: Uh, Kokila, sometimes I feel, when I'm really anxious, I, I wrap myself in my blanket like a burrito, like, like this and then like i sleep like my reaction is like shut down um it's like a coping it's like my extreme coping mechanism if like you said today is like what is happening with today i always say entrepreneurship is on the same day you get great news and bad news like it's just like you can be like we're doing it and then it's like what a disaster right so it's this constant stress fluctuating you know energy which we have to like handle and you know be in control
1: absolutely absolutely I always say it's always a yo-yo and you're constantly trying to find a balance and say okay this is where we are the moment you tell yourself you would steady everything's going smooth
0: boom something yeah Something. the
1: next, the next big project and the worst news ever yeah just, just together
0: Oprah says you can have everything but never at the same time so it's always <laughs> like okay, life is good, personal life is good, work is good, and then something is going to, you know, just completely mess it up. Um, I want to talk about that balance that you were just talking about. So let's add being a mother to the mix. What has motherhood taught you, especially as you're starting your company? What have, you know, how have you managed to handle both? So for
1: me, motherhood is life's biggest blessing. Like I say, I'm, I'm just blessed that, I was born a woman and I could experience this. It, it, it's 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 a beautiful journey. Every time I've started a venture, I have looked at my venture, not as a baby, but I say, if I was to create this in nine months from now, 10 months from now, what all will I do? You know, because when my first pregnancy, I was in my mid thirties, I planned a lot, planned everything together, not just. I forgot to plan what will happen once I delivered the child, but I was so busy prepping up those nine months, reading the best of the books, being with the right people. Same thing. When I started my law firm, I made sure that I'm talking to the right people, understanding what is going on. And there's one beautiful thing that I always say when you're pregnant and you're working. So I recently, I'll just take five minutes of yours. I recently had an episode in my this pregnancy where I there was an investor who wanted to invest in us. And we were having good conversations. Everything was going fine. Where then just one day he tells me, oh, but I heard you're pregnant. I said, yeah. And I thought he's going to congratulate us. And, you know, this is what he's like. Uh, then how can we invest in you? I said, why would you say that? He's like, because you're pregnant. So. And that's when it started thinking. I said, if I were you, I would invest all the more because right now, every organ, every cell in my body is working at being creative, at being productive. I am working with double energy. So it's not just one person's brain. You You will have multiple resources by investing just in one person. So it's a misconception for you to think that because I'm pregnant, I won't be able to do all this. In my head, it's because because I'm pregnant, there is so much I can do because now I'm in my super creative mode. I am being protective about everything that I do and I'm protective about everything around me. So my aura and my energy is this. So if you as an investor, in fact, should encash this. He did not get it, but that's where I always say that motherhood entrepreneurship for me just goes hands in hand in hand. hand, in hand.
0: It's so interesting. Before I became a mother, I used to be very judgmental. Like when I would hire a woman, I'd be like, oh, my God, please don't be married or have a baby. Because I I knew that like as a startup, I needed my whole team. So if with paternity, maternity leave, you know, um, so I was very biased and very judgmental. And it's terrible because after I became a mother, I'm like, how like how could I have been so, like, I didn't have the empathy. So now I'm completely different. After I gave birth, I would, if I see a pregnant woman randomly, I'll hold her hand and be like, good luck. Like, you can do it. Like, I feel such a sense of sisterhood. I feel such a sense of sisterhood with all women, all mothers, I feel like I joined a huge club and I just want to help and support and offer my advice and receive feedback and advice. So, yeah, it's definitely like a life-changing journey, especially as a mompreneur where you're doing both. So did he ever end up investing? No. (laughs) Because of this reason? (laughs) Because of that reason? Oh, that's that's insane. What a story. Definitely his loss. I'm so sorry about that. But I think you'll probably find a better investor with the right value system.
1: No. So it was really nice because then I said, okay, now I don't need to go and raise that fund. I will make sure that I create that fund on my own. So I put in all my extra hours and my team supported a lot To
0: Like after three months, we're like, oh, we actually don't need funding. We're good. I love that. And you obviously own majority. So that's amazing. Um So let's talk about the business of law. So let's uh, talk about all the kind of different spaces of the work that you do. Um, Tell me, what is it like to acquire a client and a customer? Uh, Tell me about some of your most exciting cases, if you can share, like highlights, reels.
1: Yeah, some of it's, it's always a thrill to acquire a client, and especially now at Karm, because where we're saying that we are not your when we say not demeaning anyone, but not your regular lawyers, because you would come to us looking for a solution, not a legal problem, but you're actually wanting a solution. So our approach to them is very different. So every, like, you know, the first call we would get on a call with them, discuss it and say, okay, explain your business, explain why you want to do it. Explain where do you see yourself five years from now? Explain, uh if you were not allowed to do this what 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 could you do to your product to fine tune it so we under try to understand the people that we're working with because in this whole blockchain fintech cryptocurrency space it's still a high risk so need to understand the risk a client can take need to understand how much of understanding of the technology or of the subject matter the client has or is he basing this on somebody else's knowledge like he's just going to depend on a tech team or he's just a pure investor and he doesn't know so then we always make sure that we're advising them correctly so we never ever go and tell them "Oh, everything is fine you don't need to worry about we always tell them this is where you are right now you could achieve these many points say in the next four to five months you may not be happy with it but this is the best that you can do but If I were you, and that's where the entrepreneurial skills come into place, I might change the business model a bit and face it out. Most of our clients have absolutely loved this approach because it's literally hand-holding them and say, we will walk you through this entire journey. So every time a project goes live or they get their funding or they get a regulatory approval, it's a celebration for us because we like... We're part of this. We've not turned down a client and saying, "Oh, what you're talking about, having an apartment in Mars is not making sense." So we say, "All right, okay, now let's assume we are in Mars. What are we going to do now?" So it's always like, you know, encourage them because most of these technology projects, like it's quite interesting
0: what they're trying to build in. Have you ever met... So what do you think makes a great founder? I'm sure you've met a lot of different startups and you have a good judge of character after meeting so many people. But tell me about founders that you've met that have blown you away, just like from a personality trait perspective. What have they demonstrated? A
1: founder who not only cares about where his business would be for five years from where he started, but a founder who cares about his team that has impressed me or that is something that I look up to into people because your core team and especially service providers like us, we're not selling an object, we're selling our services. So the team has to be as motivated as the founder always. So a founder sh- that looks after the team, looks after every client they onboard, every client. It does not matter this client is paying you your daily wages or is paying you your millions. If it's a client of the company, it all needs to be treated at the same level. And that honesty by which you present your case, and also a founder that is continuously learning, continuously learning and saying, not not sitting with that whole notion of, oh, I founded this, this is mine. As much as we are territorial about it, you need to understand, you need that full village to grow with you you alone cannot do it That's that's something that we all need to accept we all learn we all learn from other people's experiences their knowledge so it needs to be rewarded or acknowledged correctly that has been really enterprising no has been my 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 main factor when i'm looking at different entrepreneurs around me
0: did you pick up something from them that you learned because we know that you have you know you're great at the law stuff but like did you pick up some business tips or or like ways of doing things yeah can you share how
1: do you keep your how do you keep your team happy but at the same time how do you balance your finances how do you balance what you're gonna do in the next your growth plans for the next two years all these need to be thought through. And then at the same time, be ready for something which is out of your control. So when COVID happened and everything went online, a lot of law firms downsized or you know, they went through a lot of uh, other issues. For us, this was, this was what we say the trigger point for growth that we were looking for because we advise, advise clients in the digital space. So in the pre-COVID days, every time we would go and say, oh, you need to look at these payment solutions, these fintech solutions, you need to look at data protection, cybersecurity, they're like, yes, in future we will. And then 2020 happened. And then everybody's like, oh, it is happening now. So as a founder of, of Karm, I could immediately switch my business model and say, okay, some of the projects that we were looking at I shelved them away for next two years. But I said, immediately, these are the needs and this is what is required. And we just need to go deeper into the team and we will be able to serve all that to our clients.
0: Have you ever walked away from a project and said no? And I know it's tough to do that because when you're a startup or when you're a new company, you want to get in all, all the business that you can get and you have capacity. But have you ever walked away from something and you said this was not for me?
1: In in all honesty, we walked away from too many projects. Why? Even as a startup, we were very clear right in the beginning that... So we advised in the whole cryptocurrency tokenization space. Now we are seeing many laws and regulations around it coming. When we started way back, there weren't many. So you had to go by good business practices. You had to go by, okay, making sure investor protection is there, customer protection is there, and you follow the basis of every law. And most most of the projects that were coming to us, they just didn't want to listen to it. So we walked away from many projects way back then. Currently, again, we are seeing some projects where we are like – with all due respect we would like to not associate our names with it because and we're clear again sometimes we've onboarded certain projects and we've advised the client that this is what in the current legal scenario you should be doing and if our advice has not been followed our terms and conditions are very very clear on that we will walk away from these projects
0: so do you have any problem having hard conversations i know sometimes it's tough for- Even for me, like it's tough to confront people, to say the truth, (laughs) much easier to slap an inshallah on it and I'll get back to you. Um, So how do you have these challenging, tough conversations or what are your tips on having them? This is where the legal skills come out.
1: We always know how to present it. We always know, use the diplomacy to make them understand and believe it, but at the same time, not leave our ground. For me... As ethics, legal ethics, moral ethics play a very very important role
0: and, and do you include that in your conversation?
1: absolutely, they're very clear that if like I tell them if karma is saying that no this cannot be done then it definitely it cannot be otherwise we would try our best to find solutions for them but not go against the law
0: do you ever feel like everybody around you has things figured out when it comes to their career except for you? Do you look at successful people and want to figure out how do they make a living doing what they love? Do you ever feel like what you're learning in school and university is not what you see yourself doing? Welcome to Playbook, where we're trying to change the dynamic and reinvent career progression for women. We want to be with you every step of the way as you navigate the challenges in your journey. We're building a platform that gives you a community and content That also uses the power of storytelling through shared experiences by game-changing women who've shattered the glass ceiling. Join our waiting list and be the first to know when the platform goes live. Get on get-playbook.com to sign up to our newsletter and be the first to pilot our new technology. So for our listeners who don't know what blockchain and crypto and NFT and fintech and the metaverse like what is your position in all these spaces and maybe you can just describe some of them to our listeners
1: let me start with metaverse so because all our listeners are listening to it and they are listening to us in what we call a metaverse so what is it it is that digital space in which we all are when we started using Facebook, when we started using Instagram for personal interest, then slowly for our business interest, we were already in a metaphysical world. Now a name to all this has been given and this whole hype around metaverse, but metaverse has been there for a very long time now. So that's, that's metaverse. Like when people say, I don't know about it, I said, but the fact that you're asking me this on Instagram, you are in it already. You just have to say, okay, this is what it is. Again, uh, so let me start with something as what is blockchain? So blockchain, like a lot of hype around it in understanding, but then I always ask people that, did you ever spend time in understanding what is internet? You just started using it. So why are we going crazy about trying to understand blockchain, which is just like an internet? It's a concept, it's a technology that we are using. And why do why are we trying to say that, oh, I don't know it. And, you know, I think it's all because a lot of people still associate blockchain with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency and think this is the same. So what needs to be corrected here is that blockchain is the technology. Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency and it's the first use case of it. That's what got its popularity. One should not spend too much time in understanding the technology if you are not in that field. What you need to accept it is that it's a great tool by which your data can be stored. It's a great tool by which your data can be processed. It's a great tool by which your data can be transferred from one person to another. Now, data could be my Instagram post. My data could be my email. My data could be physical or Say the digital money that I have either in my bank account, which we were using mobile apps or mobile banking. Now we think, okay, there can be another use case of this, and that's the physic, the financial data that moves. For for I would say for layman, this is good enough for you to know. There is not, it's not very important for you to understand this more. What is more important in this space is. Because of people having this whole hype about not knowing, they're falling prey to a lot of people who are coming and telling them the wrong thing. So be very careful. Be you know Have that thing that if somebody is coming and telling you, I will multiply your money by 500x or 50x, it, it speaks of a scam. You don't need to say that the technology is bad or this is bad. You need to do your own homework to understand what is it that they're trying to sell to you.
0: So um, have you bought or do you own any Bitcoin or do you own any cryptocurrency?
1: Yes, I do believe in it. I do believe strongly in it. So there are some coins in which I have invested. Uh, Bitcoin was like a legacy investment that I wanted to do for my kids. So with that notion, I did it. Uh, I am not a trader in it, so I wouldn't know much about the the daily trade of it. But I would know the underlying project which that certain token or that certain coin is representing.
0: And when you say that we need, you know, it's basically all this currency is just protecting of data and. Making it transparent, right? Am I saying it correctly? Yes. Yeah. Why are we trying to protect it or make things transparent?
1: So, for the longest time, we were told this is a bank you need to trust. This is a government you need to trust. So, we were always, always talking about trusting another third party. We, as humans, in the last hundreds of thousands of years, we've gone by somebody else telling us this is correct, this is not correct. So there's this whole uh, soulful part of blockchain that I always talk about is that now we are in that era where nobody else needs to tell that I can take control of it because the technology allows it and shows it to me that, okay, if 1 million coins were minted on a block, using that blockchain, I can see how many of them are in circulation. There will be no double spending there will be no oversupply of it because this is how the algorithm is working so it's extremely transparent blockchain is actually saying you know it said that it's trustless so basically that doesn't mean that you don't trust it it just means you don't need a third person to say that okay trust it you look at the system and if you understand it and if you can spend like half hour to understanding the mechanics, the algorithm behind it you will see it's a simple formula. So humans cannot tamper with it as much as, you know, when, when we see the governments of the world, when there is a financial crisis, more and more paper money is minted, which leads to inflation, which leads to bubble burst of the financial system. Blockchain, using blockchain in that space is pretty much trying to reduce that. So and- yes, it's transparent, it's trustless.
0: And people say that this space generally is is great for women to to enter. It, it um, is inviting versus the finance industry, which kind of excludes women. Do you believe that to be true as well?
1: Absolutely, because a woman doesn't now no need to go and apply for a fancy job or go to a boardroom, which is full of men to prove her point. She just needs a computer device or she needs her mobile to start minting her own money if she wants to. And also be part of a great network, which is, which, is, which is free from any gender, which is free from any nationality, which is free from any race. So there's no discrimination whatsoever. And it's easier for women to do it because if, you, if there are women who are sitting at home and looking at how they can increase their income, all they have to do is just learn about this and start Investing in and investing in is not through money. You use your devices to invest in. So if you want to mint, all you need is to have a, com- a computer or a mobile with so much of hash power to just go and do that.
0: Now, as a woman uh, lawyer, I'm sure that you are operating in a male-dominated space, probably from the classroom all the way to your industry. Um, can you tell me more about that? Is that something that you've noticed? Uh, Did you face any challenges as a a female entrepreneur and as a lawyer?
1: Till this incident with the investor, I had never faced it. I, I, I always, it never came to my mind or nor was I ever made to feel that by my peers, especially here in this region, that, oh, because you're a woman, you cannot do that. That was never there. And then this incident happened and I went back and spoke to a lot of my male counterparts and my male clients and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, this is also another sign that this happened, but I never faced it as any other challenge. Only thing is, yes, sometimes it, it's, it's difficult for me to go and socialize and network, which, which men could do it easily, just plainly because I would rather spend that time with my kids.
0: So do you feel like you're missing out on any opportunities because you're choosing to decrease your networking, you know, the time that you would put in networking? I've been able to
1: balance that out pretty well. I would say my personal intake has been that if I've been not been able to go out in the night for a networking, I, have, I had to go and do those one-on-one meetings if I could just meet all of them together later in the evening over a coffee or over a drink I have changed the duration and gone and done that early mornings
0: and do you have any advice for any women who who are lawyers or want to be lawyers or entrepreneurs just based off your experience
1: I would say go for it there is nothing more exciting than this and always always listen to your gut listen to your inner voice with tells you that you should do it it never lets you down and, and are, have that courage yeah
0: are you in tune with that voice in your uh, head yeah uh, what what does that voice say the voice said i should have done this podcast earlier <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yes every time like i have to make a decision i just close my eyes and i said let me connect to myself let me go back to my that strength, which I was born with. Society throws a lot of challenges, but I have always taken that as a learning. Every pain has been an experience. Every pain, every, every, every down has been a great learning curve for me. Every high has taught me humility and every good thing has taught me gratitude.
0: Your intuitive voice, if someone says, you know, Kokila, I can't hear it, what do I do? How do you, would you encourage them to get in touch with that intuition? Other than have a baby, of course. Meditate. Spend time with yourself. You know, that time where there are no
1: gadgets. Time when it's maybe just you and your coffee. Just spend time with yourself and, and ask those questions. And so I, I play this little trick. I ask questions to myself and I say, in half an hour give me the reply so either something would happen or a phone call or a message or I would be just you know sitting and all of a sudden I'll be like oh okay that's the solution for this so I've stopped looking for answers outside I have gone deeper in me to find those answers
0: I love that and I think um our intuition is strong as women, it's loud, it's in us, it's always right. And even when it's not right, it's meant to teach us something and we're supposed to come back to it, you know, with a, like a learned experience. So I love that you're so in touch with it and your work is so intuitive as well. Um, as a mom and as a working mom, what are some tips that you've hacked basically to ensure that, you know, you have kind of a good, a good mix of spending time with your children and raising them? as well as, you know, building and yeah. scaling your company? So one of the
1: most interesting things that I started doing with my firstborn was that when he was one year old, I would just take him for all my meetings. I would I would tell him to accept this part of his mother that never ever think that it's either work or it's him. So I used to tell him, this is, this is mommy incomplete. Mommy is, is with you. She's your mom, but mom is also a lawyer. Mom is also a business owner mom has these things that she has to do and you would never be a hindrance to it so I always used to tell him and I still tell him that you're my biggest supporter so you have to be there so I am there for all your school functions or whatever you do with your friends so if mommy has to go for a meeting and she asks you to just sit there for half an hour or be there for an hour you need to be part of it and the boy traveled the world with me You know, sometimes with his nanny joining us, with his father supporting us in it, or sometimes nobody. So I would just leave him in the daycare. And I've been once at a conference and this was really nice because I was at the podium talking and I could just see him outside playing in the play area with other kids. So, And I was like, this is the comfort, you know, where I never had to ever say that, oh, I will have to give one over the other. So made him a part of my whole story and said, this is how it is.
0: It's really smart that you do that because a you get to spend more time with him or her, uh, but also you get to do your work. And I think growing up, my mother was inspiring to me because I saw her work every day. Uh, so I developed really strong work ethic. So I think it's a gift when we work and produce and hustle and our, and our. That's like, yeah. we're, we're leading by example, right? So I just feel like that's such Absolutely. a great blessing if you're able to work and be a mother as well. Um, has, yeah. it, has it changed you at all being a mother in business? It has made me more calm.
1: <laughs> it has told me it's a process. Like, you know, when I was younger and in my first firm, I wanted everything instantly. Like, you know, oh, I worked hard. Why am I not getting the results right now? But now with this whole motherhood, pregnancy and everything, I'm like, okay, it's a process. We're putting in the right seeds. We're putting in the right intent. We're working hard. We're honest to our clients. We're honest to our profession. Things will work out. It may not give me the result that I'm looking for. It may give me something really different. But maybe that is what, what is it. Every time now I have look back and I am say, oh, that was in my best interest. Thank you, universe, for doing that for me. All that has come, I would say, the calmness has come in me majorly after I became a mom. Yeah,
0: I think our priorities change. So as long as our children are in, uh, as long as our children are in good health and they're secure and safe, everything else is solvable. Or after pregnancy, everything is like, oh, I have all this energy back. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can function normally. It's like I can handle anything after that physical experience or that, uh, that that miracle. Um, as you know you're really active in the fintech space obviously you're a founding member of the MENA fintech association you're a public speaker so anything kind of blockchain business related you've done a lot of incredible um, speeches and you've been a panelist what is that like as part of your job because that's also like you stepping out of the day-to-day work and presenting and really like pitching right like we're always kind of Discussing what we're doing and we're pitching our own ideas. So what does that part of your career look like?
1: So, you know, it's when we are pitching, interestingly, we're not just pitching about coming and working with us. We are pitching for this whole segment of blockchain, fintech, cryptocurrency, because, as you know, there's still a lot of unawareness around it. There's still a lot of misconception. So we took it upon ourselves that if we want our practice to grow, we need more and more people to be comfortable with it, to understand what the legal scenario in this whole tech space is. So interestingly, when I started Karm, our first client was actually the, uh, there's a legal awareness program under the Dubai courts for lawyers for continuous legal profession development. So we actually started a course called Introduction to Blockchain for Lawyers. So we wanted to go and educate more and more lawyers in this space because we don't want lawyers to go around and say, oh, cryptocurrency is illegal. It's not to be accepted or give any wrong advice to our clients just because they don't know. So it's very important for us to grow the entire ecosystem for this tech space. And very, very big secret of mine is that I used to be scared of public speaking though i've done these many debates as a kid and you know so many public speaking events i used to do as a child but then something happened to me during my teens where i just was like no i don't want to go and talk in public until i reached a point where i was like people do need to hear this we need to go and tell not only our story but also the voice that my mother always told me to have, which I lost in between for a few years. And I went back to it. The first event I had, I was all jittery. You know, my lips are shaking and I'm like, what am I going to say? What will it be? But then I make sure now for every event that I go and speak, I prepare well. I study about what I'm going to talk, what type of audience is going to be there. if I'm speaking at a panel, I'd like to know who my panelists are going to be. So it's not only I going and talking about what I want to say, but also what I want to learn. These events are great learning curve where people come with so much of knowledge and experience. So just being in their presence and having those conversations, those thoughts, there's so much that I learn from every event I've
0: gone to and you it's get quite and, you, exciting. and you get better with time right like it gets better and i think you said something which is to me a huge aha moment which is i think once you have something you're excited to say or once you figure out you have a mission or if you feel strongly about something it's much more easier it, you find it it's a responsibility to get up on that stage and share the knowledge or the information and i think that purpose that driven purpose to teach or to inspire or to pass on knowledge, which is I think in all of us, and it's, it's all innate in us. I think once you align with that, uh, the speaking opportunities come, but also you are excited on stage. So when, when you get down from the stage, everyone's like, thank you. Or, you know, it's amazing. Or I learned something new and then we feel good. And then, you know, the cycle kind of goes on again.
1: Absolutely. In one of my early speaking events, I was invited to represent UAE uh, at a conference, which was a women empowerment conference in London. And we had somewhere around 180 women from different parts of the world. And I was going there to talk about how the UAE legal system or what all has happened in the region across has been very supportive for women, which, which is something that I knew and I, I lived in. What was eye-opening for me is that when I was on the panel and I discussed it, I out of those 181 women, I, am, I must have spoken to around 60 of them right after me. They're like, we had no clue, you know, that the Arab countries are so open and they're so accommodating. And you're saying that, you know, you have provision for women on the board. You have more than 60% government jobs are with women. We had a different conception about it. And that was when I was like, okay, I need to go and talk more and more about this. Now, because lack of awareness, people just start believing what they hear.
0: I love to end all my podcast interviews with the same question, which is what do you feel is your superpower?
1: My superpower would be I'm a good listener. I can listen. I can listen to others and I can listen to myself. So there been too many times when I dive in myself i listen to myself
0: that's it for this week thank you for listening to an episode of the woman power podcast and thank you for downloading and streaming our podcast every week if you love what you've heard tag us on instagram and follow the woman power podcast and woman power summit account for more information on our next episode please leave a rating review wherever you get your podcast it really helps other women discover the show That's it for me. See you next week.